Okay, very good. So that's, that's up there. Um, uh, really grateful for the time that I was able to, to take off in, in the preaching uh, responsibilities. So I'm grateful for the, for the guys who stepped up and, and preached and led us, Kenny and, and uh, Pastor Bill. Just very grateful for that. Um, it's, it's a joy to be able to, uh, to serve with them, and, and I'm grateful to hear the word uh, preached on those days. Um, it's been an in, um, interesting adjustment with, with Kate. Uh, it, it's been good. I think for the most part, uh, we've had some diff- difficulty, but but it, it certainly is a it certainly has been an interesting adjustment with with her, and, and so if y'all would continue to keep us in your prayers and keep Christina in your prayers, who's who's working on little sleep and she likes sleep like the rest of us, so and needs it. So, anyways, so uh, pray for pray for her uh, mostly. Um, so. Well, let's let's get into Ephesians chapter three. Um, I'm I'm grateful for this uh, for this passage. I'm, I'm thankful for it, and and, and I hope that it's uh, uh, I hope that it proves to be fruitful. Grace the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, "For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory." He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, having been strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that may surpass the knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We encounter here in this passage, we go with the questions. Um, we encounter here in this passage our, our second prayer by, by Paul for the church uh, in, in Ephesus and, of course, for us as well uh, here in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. It's the continuation of his thought from verse 1 when he said, for this reason, and his continuation of his thought is now working us into this prayer. And the for this reason is looking back, kind of like the therefores of the passage, of chapters 1 and, and chapters 2. Prayer, prayer is, an, is, is a very important aspect of the Christian life. Um, and, and none of us would, would deny that. Um, when, when properly viewed, it, it, it shows a posture or a dependence upon the Lord. When, when prayer is properly uh, uh, viewed, we have a dependence upon the Lord. It's a heart toward God, saying, I am unable, God, I need you. It's a dependence upon Him. It is, it is where we, we personally encounter God in, in deep communion and in worship with our Heavenly Father. It's where we worship Him, where we exalt Him, where we lean on Him. It's where we can petition Him in those, in those things of our dependence. In our, in our passage this morning, We've already read, 
This is that second prayer that Paul prays for the church. And I believe that this is a prayer that we need continuing today. I believe this is why it's been inspired by the Spirit of God for us and for the church throughout the ages, not just for us. It wasn't just hidden until now. But throughout the ages, for us. We can, we can come at this prayer at a couple different angles. And the first angle, I think the most popular way people want to preach these prayers of Paul, and even in particular this one, is, is they want to come at it and say, you see people, this is what you call a, a, what prayer is supposed to be. This is, this is how you pray. This is, these are the things that you, you, you need to be asking for. But that's not the point of this. That's not the point of this prayer. That's not the intent of this passage. So we're going to look at it just a, a, a little bit differently in, in, the, in the sense that we are going to... Now, don't, don't get me wrong. There's certainly things that we can learn from that, from the way that, that Paul wrote it and prayed, and, and certainly the way that we should... our heart and prayer toward, toward the Lord. And it certainly sets us up a type, but that's not the point. The point that I want us to see today is as we, we unpack it together... It's not so that we would feel guilty about our prayerlessness or not that we would feel guilty about our short and weak prayers because I think if we all asked, if we asked the question, should you be praying more, I think we would all answer that question, how? Yeah, yes, absolutely. I think we all, so, so what, we, what we don't need is to take this and say, you stink at prayer, do better, right? Right, because we all were like, well, that's, sounds good, feels good. That's not the point of the passage, though. In fact, there's rarely any places in Scripture where it does that. But, what it, but rather what we see is, is, is that it is to stir our hearts. And that's what the Spirit of God inspiring does here. It's to stir our hearts who inspired this prayer to give us these petitions by the Apostle Paul for the church so that these petitions that are being made to the church would now be fulfilled in us. That they would be answered in us. And I think that will stir our hearts to, to greater joy. And, and I think that will inform our prayer. That will help correct our prayerlessness. So let's, let's look at the, these two petitions. This morning we're actually only going to cover through uh, verse 19, because I don't, we're definitely not going to have time to cover verses 20 and 21. So we're going to cover verses uh, 14 through 19, and look at the two rich petitions uh, that are made by Paul uh, on behalf of the church, uh, and, and see what they have for us. So the first petition is this: is that we would be strengthened with the power, that we would be strengthened with power in our inner being, that we would be strengthened with power in our inner being. In verses 16 through 17, we can, we can see that. We can see where it is here. So the, the request that's being, know, being made known here for us is one of power. He wants us to have power. He wants us to feel the power of God. It's what the church is to have. And this isn't new to us. Back in chapter 1, verses 18-19, he said, he said, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. Of his power to those who believe. This, this idea of being powered by the Lord, by the Spirit of God to those who believe is not something new to us when he prays this. But he prays that now very much directly here in verse 16, that he may grant us power to be strengthened with power by his Spirit. And this is a, this is a particular power. This is a particular power. It's a power that only comes through the... What does it say? only comes through the Spirit. It only comes through the Spirit. So it doesn't come through our strength. It doesn't come, up through, come through our, our conjuring. It doesn't come up through, through our, our intellect or our strength. But it is a strength that we need that only comes through His Spirit. And not only that, not only where this power comes from, but this, this power is going to operate in a particular place. Do you see that? This power is going to operate in a very particular place, and that is in our inner being. It is going to work in our, in our inner being. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 tells us, it says, do, it says, do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Though your outer self is, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul understood this. He knew this. He was in persecution. He felt the scars. He felt the pain. He felt the, the, the weakness of his flesh daily. But what was left when all of that was broken down to nothing was his inner being. We haven't faced persecution like that. But we certainly, for most of us at least, we understand what it feels like to get old. We understand what it feels like to, to, to not be able to do things that we used to be able to do because we're getting old. The outer self is wasting away. But it is through the, the Spirit of God that the inner self, the, the, the inner man is being renewed by the power of God, strengthened by the power of God. It is, the, it is where in the inner man, it is where the, where the gospel does its work. The gospel does its work in the, the inner man, in the inner heart of us, transforming, renewing the heart of man. It is in us that we need to be strengthened. It is where we need to be empowered. It is in the inner man that we need the renewal of God, not just in our mere mortal flesh. Oh, how we put such an emphasis on, on our outer person on our appearances, to look a certain way, to wear certain clothing. I mean, we see that in the world. We see that in the world, that it is, you, you, you are lame when you get old. That you're, you're, you're no longer worth, worthwhile to society. 
because you can't do certain things or you look a certain way. Wrinkles are to be despised. To the world, appearance is everything. To the heart of man, appearance is everything. But brothers and sisters, the outside flesh is what is wasting away. It is what is here today and gone tomorrow, like the flower that quickly fades. But it is the inner man that the Lord renews. And the church has fallen to this, has has fallen to this version of this external conformity, that if I could just get myself look right on the outside and have the appearances of Christianity or have the appearances of transformation, then I'm good. As long as I look good in the face before everybody else a certain way, then I'm all right. But sanctification does not take place on the outward. Sanctification takes place in the inward. And this is what the gospel does. This is what we encountered in chapters 1 and 2 in Ephesians that what God is doing and accomplishing in Christ for us is inward. Is inward. And then it transforms the outward. It is in the inner man that we need the power of God, the strength of God to be transformed. So what is the purpose of this power? What purpose does this power have then? What purpose does this power? Well, many want to take this power... And, and they want to they take passages like this and they want to distort it into, uh, uh, into a prayer of, of cheap magic tricks and manipulation and abuse and selfish, self-seeking gain and, and a, a, a propaganda or propagation of a false prosperity gospel that this is the kind of power you should have in living victorious before the Lord that you gain all health and wealth and knowledge and you'll be speaking in tongues and you'll be doing miracles and you'll be this and that. They take passages like this and they distort them. But brothers and sisters, we must speak clearly of the power of God and the purpose of the power of God. And then to do so, we have to see the language that's being used here. And the language that's being used here is, is Trinitarian language. Language that points us to God. Points us to the work of God and not to the works of man. So verse 14 speaks of the, the Father. How He bows His knee before the Father. Verse 16, strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? There's the second part of the, or the third part of the Trinity, second part, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing to realize that the Holy Spirit and the Son of God, the second and third parts of the Trinity, dwell in the hearts of believers? No more in a tent, no more in a tabernacle or a temple. Right? This is the futility of what Christians who have been duped into sending money to Israel to build a temple. Y'all heard that? Christ, the Spirit of God, doesn't live there. He doesn't reside there. Some of you might be confused by that. But, um, but in us. It is in us. But now in every, every person who is in Christ. And he says here that, that, that he may dwell 
Think about that. That he dwells with us. Meaning he, he takes up permanent residence. You know, in the, in the temple, in the tabernacle, the tent and the tabernacle was temporary. It was, it was temporary. And then we have the, the temple. And the temple was only temporary. Because the temple pointed to the greater reality where the Spirit of God would, would dwell and would exist. And that is within his people. We see that from uh, Ezekiel 36 and 37. I think we read that a couple weeks ago. This is where he dwells. is in us. That he may dwell in us. You see, when Christ, by his Spirit, takes up resonance in us, he takes it up in such a way where he dwells with us. Like when you move into a house. Let me illustrate it this way. Say a, a, a young couple, they, they get married, they save up, they save up their money, and, and they buy a home. And the only home that they can, they can, they can afford or purchase is a home that needs uh, a, a ton of repair. A ton of repair. I mean, I mean it's just ridiculous uh, how much repair that this, that this house needs. But they take it as a challenge. They want to do it. They want to learn. And they believe that over time that they'll be able to do it. And it became a longer process than maybe they even expected. Years pass. Months pass. But slowly but surely, things started to get fixed. Redone. Made new. And after 20 years of marriage, after 20 years, the, they're working outside and they're maybe working in the garden and the wife looks over at her husband after she looked at the home and saw the backyard and the front yard and she looked at her husband and she says, Dear, we've put a lot of work into this place. But you know, I really love what it's become. I really love what it's become. It's become what we wanted it. It's become what we really need it to be. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's how it is when Christ takes up residence in our hearts. He takes this, this, this fixer-upper. And by the way, our fi- the fixer-upper of our hearts and our lives is not the five minutes left of the show fixer-upper, right? It's not that. It's a dumpster fire of a home. It's the place that nobody wants. Right? It's the place that wants, that's going to be destroyed. Right? It's the one that has the, the broken air conditioning, the leaky roof, the messed up plumbing, uh, the, 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 the terrible wallpaper, right? the overgrown landscape, the sinking foundation, the insect and rodent infested house, the electrical nightmare of a, of a home that's dangerous. This is, the, this is the type of residence that Christ takes up in, in us to make repairs, to, to make clean, to rid out the, the rodents and the rats, the rats, and to bring in a new air conditioning and fix the wiring. Right? You see, in our justification, Christ buys the house. And in our sanctification, Christ renews and transforms and makes new the home. He takes residence in us. And by the power of God, He strengthens our inner being. I love that analogy because it's what we need. It's, it's the reality of, of, of who we are. We might ask another question in regards to this first petition. Is, 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 how, does he, how does he make such a, a, a request of the power of God to strengthen the inner being when, when we don't even really know the resources involved? 
How does that happen? Right? So that, and that question comes up for, for many of us, not necessarily in the spiritual realm in a sense, but, but when we want to go do something, we want to go buy something, we want to start a, a new business. The reason why a lot of us don't do that is because we don't understand. We don't have a proper business plan because we have no idea where the money's going to come from. We don't know where the resources are going to come from. Maybe we have a great idea and we have a real good visionary and then we have a friend who, who likes to rain on our parade and says, where are you going to get the money, man? And then our idea is shot through the water. And so it's a reality. It's a question of reality. Where does God get the resources to give us the strength for our inner being? Well, that answer comes right out of verse 16. It says that it is according to the riches of His glory. Once again, a phrase that we are used to, a phrase that we've seen in Ephesians that it is according to the the riches of His glory, the provision and the supply of His glorious riches in Jesus Christ that are given to us to to, uh, strengthen our inner being has been secured for us in Christ on the cross. The same power by which you have been saved and redeemed and that house was purchased is the same power that is also sanctifying you. So to doubt God's transforming work, His resources, the power is to doubt our very own justification. To doubt our, our, our very own reconciliation and redemption. The same power that will sanctify you is no doubt the same supply of power that was given to you in Christ to redeem you. That same power is living in us. Think how that empowers us now today. Think how that informs us in our sanctification. Think how that informs you in your, in your battle with temptation and fear and anxiety and doubt and lust. Think about how that empowers us. Helps us to, to plead for this power. The power to be, the power to be, to be holy the power to, to think and act and, and talk in ways that, that are pleasing to Christ. And I think I can add to that list now, to be to think and to act in ways that are pleasing to Jesus Christ on social media as well. It's the power to be strengthened. Listen, it's the power to be strengthened to have moral resolve. The power to walk transparent. Why are we hiding? Why are we hiding? We don't have the power of God. We've doubted the power of God. We're not trusting, leaning into the power of God. And finally, it's the power to grow more in the likeness of Christ. Are we growing more into the likeness of Christ? You see, a part of Christianity definitely is to believe certain truths. Right? And, and we've done, I think we've done a really good job at that and compelling you to, to believe certain things about, about God. And, and we, we have certain confessions of faith and knowledge and belief about Christianity. But the problem with, with just holding on to that is, is, is this, is, is that even the demons can believe. I mean, we, you don't think that we could give a statement of faith to Satan's demons and they wouldn't say, yeah, I believe that. 
They're not going to doubt the power of the Word of God. They're not going to doubt the, the sufficiency of Christ and salvation. It's not good for them. They're not going to doubt that. But there's more. The, the intent of, of, of the salvation for, for sinners is not just to believe certain truths or give some kind of intellectual nod to, yes, I believe Jesus Christ from the dead, or yes, I believe these things, and so I'm going to do these things. But it's that this truth, by the power of God, transforms the believer. Transforms the, the metamorphosis, right? And turning the, the, not a worm, but a caterpillar into the butterfly. And this transformation, this sanctification is a lifelong process. That's, that, that is why we can, we can look at someone who claims to be a believer in Christ, yet they have no marks of transformation in their life. And we can sit there and we can tell them, you're not a believer. The marks of your life is not in Christ. And, and 1 John tells us that, the marks of a believer. They, they exist in these Things, and I think there's seven of them that he, that he gives out. But this is, what he, this is what it looks like to be a believer in Christ. Certainly our confession is right, but that confession has transformation by the power of God. And this is a lifelong prayer for us, for each of us. Right? Because we know sanctification doesn't just happen at our, uh, at our justification. But our justification empowers or begins that process of sanctification. So this, this prayer, this petition of Paul should be also the same for, for us. Because we're not meant to be stagnant and stale, but to be growing and to be more like Christ. There's petition one. Good thing we only have two, right? That's petition one. Petition one, that we would be strengthened by the power of God in our inner being. Petition number two is that we would be strengthened to grasp, that we would be strengthened to grasp the, the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. That we would be strengthened to grasp the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. We see this in verses 17 through 19. As the prayer continues, it says that you being rooted and grounded in love may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, this prayer is also part of the, 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 uh, the prayer of power but it is, comes at a, a different side. It's for the, the power of God that is to enable us and to lead us to grasp the limitless dimensions of the love of God. You see, Christians, we, we know, as we, we talked about just a few moments ago, we, we know Christ in the sense of His love through our atonement and justification, redemption, reconciliation, um, and that it all depends upon the sovereign love of God. And we see this in verses chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I love it. He goes through the spiritual blessings, how we've been, we've been chosen in love. We have been predestined for, for adoption as sons according to the, the purpose of His will. And at the end of that, that, short, that phrase there in verse 6, He calls us beloved. He calls us be, beloved. And, and that's the love that we are grounded in, right? That's the love that we are rooted in. What, what other love out there can compare to the sovereign love 
of God. And it is in that love that we are to be strengthened. Strengthened to see the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. But yet there seems to be something lacking here as well. There seems to be something lacking. Almost like like they, they get that Christ loves them and they believe that, but yet there still seems to be something missing, doesn't there? Because he's, he's praying for something more. He's asking for something more. Almost like a, a, a greater or a more adequate appreciation for the love of Christ. To firmly grasp it even, even more, the love for, that, that Christ has for them. And once again, this is not a, a prayer for like this greater acknowledgement, like you've got to say it three times or some kind of external conformity, but it's, but it's that we would have the power to grasp it. That we'd have the power to, to ponder it even more, to meditate even more, to be, to be blown away. We, we were talking earlier about the, uh, the storm last night, and, and, and I just remember at around 10.30, we were outside. Y'all remember that? We were outside talking. And, and, and it was like this, all around us, lightning was just all around of us. It wasn't just one bolt. I mean, it was all around of us. I mean, the whole sky lit up, and, and we were just kind of, the conversation stopped. And then we started talking again, and then the thunder. And guess where the thunder came from? All around us. And, and, and there was this, in, in all of us, there was a fear that, that just kind of blanketed over us, wasn't there? There was a fear. I mean, we, we all, we, we didn't shake from it, because it wasn't like a, you know, a real loud, that, like deafening loud. But it was around us in such a way that we just kind of got stopped for a second. A little fear. A little, a little tinge of, of, of awe. And, and that's what this, this is kind of pointing to. This greater awe of the love of Christ. A more adequate appreciation of the love of Christ in light of who we are. And in light of what He has done is for us to grasp this, this love. So a love that's not simply just intellectual, but one that, that brings about that experience, that feeling, that emotion, that all. That all that kind of just leaves you in all. You see, the Christian experience and what we have seen so often is that the Christian experience is is, is cold and dead and stoic. But that's not what the Bible teaches here. The Bible teaches life. It teaches vibrancy. It teaches us to be, to be hopeful and to be joyful and, and, and dare I even say happy. Dare I even say happy. Look, look at some of these verses. I'm just going to read them. You don't have to look them up. But Romans 14, verse 7. Paul says this, Romans 14 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in in hope. If we are abounding in hope, then we have joy. And if we have 
joy, then we are not cold, we are not dead, we are not stoic, and we are not lifeless, and we're not jellyfish in our, in our joy. We're not weak in our joy. Galatians 2.20, love this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Some of our youth and people are singing that verse. right? And loved me. You can't read that verse not with a smile and and joy to think about what Christ has done. 1 Peter chapter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Like newborn infants, okay, like newborn infants who long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Love that. And I love this, and, and just kind of going for, further in our book, in Ephesians 5, verse 18, he goes even further than maybe even some of us even want to think about. I think at one point, I remember, um, in a different passage, but same context, uh, I remember Pastor Bill offending someone uh, with, with this very point. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 18, tells us that, uh, um, that, that we are not to be drunk with wine, but we are to be what? We are to be led by the Holy Spirit. We are to enjoy the Holy Spirit. And the, the, the point is this, is that, that, that wine that gives this sort of high, and in Scripture it represents joy. Wine always represents joy because it's like celebration. You, you're celebrating. But whereas wine can just eventually lead you to drunkenness and debauchery, as Ephesians 5 verse 18 tells us, the joy and the high of the Holy Spirit is satisfying and exhilarating. And exhilarating and satisfying. How do we measure the love of Christ? How do we appreciate this love then? Can we, can we say, and I know he didn't say this, but can we say that the love of Christ is a truckload? Can we say that? Is that, is that a right way to say it? Well, the way that he tells us is he gives us a metaphor and then a paradox in describing the love of Christ. The metaphor is this, is that it's the, it's the, the dimensions, right? The, the, the length, width, and height, and even the breadth and the depth, right? So he gives us all the dimensions of the, the love of Christ, these, these measurements. And then he takes that metaphor and he, and he throws a paradox in there and he says that to know this love, to know this love, the love of Christ is one that surpasses all knowledge. I mean, you can't, we, we can't comprehend it. We, we, we can't understand it. We can't, we can't necessarily grasp it in its entirety. We'll never be able to explore its, its, its depths. But it doesn't leave us 
in, in a sense of hopelessness. It leaves us wanting in such a way that we want it more. And we want it, we want it more. And, and I think by God's grace and by His mercy, He has is, he is also put that into the, 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 the human uh, um, the human mind and soul and the fact the way that we, we long for love of one another. How we long for, for love with our, with our husbands and with our, with our wives and maybe even our, and our parents and our families. Hey, little one. Um, hold it for a second. Don't yell into the mic, okay? Um, and, and how we, we see that. I remember you know, dating Christina and even beforehand, it's like two years before she would even say yes to go on a date with me. Um, I, I just said, I, I just said, Every moment that I could, I wanted to be around her. And, and I would, um, sometimes subtly, not so subtly, I would work it out that I would be at the same place that she would be. Right? And why? Because, because love was driving me. Love was wanting more. And I wanted to know everything uh, uh, about her. And, and in such a way with, with Christ, this limitless, you can't explore the depths of it. And even now, I'm still trying to figure out my, my love for her. It's not, it's not completed. It's not done. I'm not, I'm not tired of it. I don't want to trade up for a new one. Right? It is, but it is also in this, this, this measurement that is limitless. The love of Christ is limitless. It is unexplorable. You can't, you can't figure it out. Even 10,000 years later, we will still be wondering and figuring out more. Even in His presence, we will still want more and to know more. You will never exhaust it. You'll never be tired of it. You'll never get tired of it. The point to here is very clear. We need the power of God to comprehend, to grasp, to explore the depths and the length and the width and the height and the breadth of the love of God. And brothers and sisters, hear, hear me on this, that apart from the power of God, we will, have all, we will always have a little appreciation for the love of Christ. We'll always have a, a, a very small appreciation for the love of Christ. And if you're not appreciating the love of Christ, you are appreciating yourself. You are appreciating yourself. We need the power of God to appreciate the limitless dimensions of the love of God. And this produces such great joy and such great hope. Such great love and such great hope. How do we, how do we obtain it then? To, to, grasp the, um, to grasp this love, this love of Christ, isn't, isn't something that we stumble into. You, you don't stumble into this. You, you, don't, you just don't. Um, we, from my experience, most people who are growing in Christ are ones who are pursuing in the Scriptures. They're, 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 they're running after the Scriptures. They're in the Scriptures. And the Scriptures are conforming their hearts and their minds by the Holy Spirit, which is amazing. Um, and, and so we, we need the Scriptures. We need the Word of God. But sometimes, but sometimes I believe that there's another way that the Lord, in His, in his infinite mercy and His goodness, He, he does something else to, to kind of spark that love, that, 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 uh, that, that length, and He shows us. And, and I think He does this through, through, uh, through suffering and tragedy and, and loss. Um, nobody wants tragedy in their life. Nobody wants loss 
in their life. Nobody wants that, that one phone call um, to, to come their way. But I have to tell you that, and I've said this before, that no matter what we try, um, those phone calls do, do come. And some of you might have received some of those calls. Um, I want to tell you about one of those phone calls that we received um, in, in 2006 when, when we were in uh, Louisville. Uh, I was in seminary. Uh, we received one of those phone calls. Uh, I was, um, by God's providence, Christina left her phone at home uh, that day when she went to work, forgot it. Um, and, and I, just a normal day, she goes to work, I go to school, she's at work all day, I come home from school, I go, I go to UPS, we meet back at 10.30, 11 o'clock when I get home, and we have dinner, or I have dinner, and we go to bed. Um, and, and while I was at work, uh, I received a phone call from my, from my friend Mike, and telling me that, why did I do this to myself? Why did we do this, right? Not a good idea. Anyways. That was, I needed to do that, uh, was basically Christina's mom had died, and, and she committed suicide. Um, and I remember, you know, just, she was over there. She received a, a message from an aunt or something, and, um, and it shattered, I think, her world. I mean, it, it, it shattered it. I mean, it, it was as violent as taking a baseball bat to a window. Um, and not even me, I, I, I can't grasp what she, what she went through. This is, this, this is the sort of tragedy that, that shakes a person to the core, shatters a person to the core. Not only, not only dealing with the, the pain of the senseless loss, which was hurtful and hard and difficult to understand, but what, what they also do, or what it also did, was it made there was, there was questions and doubts and fears and even, I think, even hate and anger toward the goodness of God, toward the sovereignty of God, toward the grace of God. And they became very difficult days for, for Christina. But what the Lord did, what the Lord did from that situation... And, and taking such a sinful, selfish, murderous act as suicide, he did something that only he could do. He did something only he could do. He brought life. He brought new love. He brought great joy in the midst of great sorrow. He brought a, a, a deep love and joy in the supremacy of Christ. A, a great knowledge of the, of the sovereignty of God. A delight in the goodness of the, the Father. And a further grasp on the dimensions of the love of Christ. We certainly wouldn't wish anything like this on any of us. And we don't want that to happen. But I can tell you, that seeing how the Lord has worked in my wife's life from that moment until a couple years later and even now, that I would say that we wouldn't trade it for nothing. In such tragedy, that God, God was being very merciful. 
not just in the way that he treated her, but merciful in the sense of, of drawing her out, stripping her down to nothing, to brokenness, to, to, to literally nothing, and say, now see me. Now see the deep love that I have for you, the deep dimensions that I have for you in Christ. When we grasp these limitless dimensions of the love of Christ, brothers and sisters, listen to me, the trinkets and the weak psycho babble of this world fade away. Stupid Christian sayings go away that, that are completely unhelpful. Things, things that, that are replaced by eternal words of life. It's no longer God takes lemons and makes lemonade. That's not helpful. That, that says that, that God is reacting. When God was not reacting that whole time, he was sovereign. Sovereignty doesn't mean he reacts appropriately according to what we decide. Sovereignty means he is, he is always acting. It means he has ordained all things. Why? I don't know. I'm not God. I don't question him. I don't question the surpassing knowledge of, of God. That's not my job. My job is to, is to have faith in Him and to be obedient. God didn't need another angel in heaven. That's a stupid statement. He didn't need her in heaven more than He needed here on earth. See how weak that is compared to the eternal things of God? And this is what he is praying for us. This is what he's praying for us. And the point is this. I know I'm going way over, so I'm really glad I, went, I stopped at verse 19. The idea is so that we would know the surpassing love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So the answer to why, the why he wants all this for us is so that we would have the fullness of God. You want to know what that means? Simply this, to know the fullness of God means to mature. To mature. To mature in Christ. To, to, to mature manhood, as Ephesians 4 says. God, God called us to be holy as He is holy. And just as He has called us to be holy as He is holy, He is also saying, be mature as I am mature. Brothers and sisters of Christ, how do we mature? We mature through the power of God to be strengthened by the inner man, or in the inner man, in the inner being, but also we are strengthened by the, the power of God to grasp the, the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. Maybe, maybe your maturity is not hinged upon you reading another book or sitting in church more, although that, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying absolutely do it. But maybe it's hinging upon the fact of trusting in the Spirit of God to empower you, to strengthen you, to strengthen your inner being, to be loved deeply. I want to bring it all together with this. And I'll finish a few things next week just to kind of recap, but let me finish it with this. The Ephesian church was named in Revelation, right? The first seven, seven churches, right? And the church in Ephesus is, is named. 
And, 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 and the church in Ephesus very much is it's applauded by, the, by Jesus as being one that, that stood their ground in the faith. They, they didn't let um, false teachers come in and corrupt their teaching as some of the other, other places. They didn't let sin, you know, just destroy their church. I mean, they, they were on guard. They had a, they, they had a good church, good, good elders, good discipline, good membership, all those things that we want to say is really good. But Jesus had a charge against them. He had one charge against the church in Ephesus. And he said, for all these things you've done good, but I have one charge against you, and that is you have lost your first love. That you have lost your first love. And what's the first love? Christ. How is it? I mean, they're doing everything right. They got the intellectual part done. They got the academic part done. They got all the, the nuts and the bolts all put together and the statement of faith and the confessions and the, and, and the covenants. They got all that stuff worked out, which are awesome. He commended them for. That's great. But you lost your first love. Brothers and sisters, it is, it is absolutely capable for each and every one of us to feel like on the outside we are doing everything right but yet you have lost your first love. Have you lost your first love? Have you lost your first love? All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. I pray now that by your spirit, oh God, you would show us the greatness of your love. The, the limitless dimensions of your love show us our need, our need for your power, our need for the power of your Spirit to, to work in our lives, for us to be obedient and to work in such a way that it works sanctification and transformation. Help us to have trust in you that you will work all things out according to your will in your time. Just let us be faithful, continually confessing, continuing to be faithful, continuing to be obedient until you call us home or until Christ returns. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.